welcome to the show and thank you for taking the time to check it out. We have a very special guest today, honestly, one of my heroes, Nate Boyer. The man is a true inspiration and a great example of the American dream and what a life he has led thus far. For those people who aren't familiar with Nate, he was an Army Green Beret and then he walked on at the University of Texas and started as a long snapper. He never played football before in his life until he started at the University of Texas. He later spent some time on the Seahawks and now he works on TV and film projects as well as some charities. And one of the things that he's most famous for is helping Colin Kaepernick come up with The Kneel. Now, he didn't advise Colin to protest. In fact, he was actually hurt by Colin's protesting. And he wrote a letter to the Army Times with his point of view. But he wanted to hear Colin's side. And that's what's so inspiring to me about this whole thing is to both men's credit, they disagreed with one another, but they sat down like men and they actually listened to each other's side. And I feel like that's a big thing that's lacking in the world right now is the ability to listen to someone that you disagree with. So after discussing things with Colin Kaepernick, you know, him and Nate came up with the idea to kneel. Because if you remember correctly, originally Kaepernick was just sitting on the bench and, you know, Nate felt that was disrespectful to the troops, um, you know, who fight for our rights in this country. And they thought, well, what's a better way, you know, to take a knee, you can peacefully protest, but still showing respect. Um, so we're going to talk about all this stuff, and I only had about 30 minutes with Nate, so I had to cram a lot in, uh, but I think we got a lot covered, and we talk about football, the army, the kneeling stuff, plus I asked Nate if he would ever consider running for office. So you'll get the answer in this episode. Here we go. Welcome, Nate Boyer, former Seahawk, former University of Texas player, Army Green Beret, actor, producer. Did I miss anything? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, you know what? The most important thing is the uh, co-founder of MVP, I think, of the ch- charity, Merging Vets and Players. Okay, cool. Yeah, uh, we'll, re- we'll I always end with the charity, so and I'll put that in the notes so people can um, can donate to that if they th- have a few extra dollars. So uh, real quick, because we only have about 30 minutes, but I want to get through your story, just the abbreviated version of it. Um, and I think there's some stuff that maybe people don't know. Um, because you grew up uh, mostly in the Bay Area, which I think is interesting with this whole Kaepernick thing and the 49ers. You were a 49er fan. Um, and, you know, pretty middle class, would you say, upbringing for the most part? Yeah, especially when I was younger. I mean, uh, when I got older, my parents started doing better, you know, but they were starting out like they um, they had me. My dad was in, uh, in school at University of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. My mom was working out there at Oak Ridge National Lab. And then they switched and he says he's a racehorse veterinarian. They moved to the Bay Area. He started working at the racetrack and then she went back to school at uh, Cal Berkeley, actually. So then she was in school for most of my kind of younger childhood. Yeah. And and she has a PhD in in environment. What is it? Environmental engineering. Your brother went to an Ivy League school. Uh, I mean, your your dad works seven days a week, 80 hours a week. Is that where you get your work ethic from? Yeah, he worked really, really hard. And he just retired last year. So it's kind of, he's kind of going through a crazy transition right now. Like, you know, he's going back to work now and again, and I think he misses it and stuff. But yeah, I mean, just seeing both my parents, they both had really strong work ethics, but also were always there for us, you know, as much Mm -hmm. as they could, they just pretty much dedicated their life to their family. And that required, uh, for their specific, uh, professions, a lot of time and energy, you know, towards that as well. But yeah, they, they're very hard working people. Yeah. So, I mean, it's so interesting just lear- learning your whole story. You're such a fascinating person. You, you're looking for challenges at a young age. And I thought this kind of shocked me. I found out you, you got caught shoplifting 
at age 15. And, and like, it was the rush. You like that rush, but what, so what did you learn from that? Cause I think it's, you know, I don't want to, I'm not trying to do that to call you out or judge you. Cause I, I asked all my friends about that. I think we've all done that. We've all, you know, done shoplifting thing, but what did you learn from that? Cause you obviously took a different path. Yeah. Uh, it was like, there was a lot of shame with it as well. Mm-hmm. And I think just like not wanting to feel that, but also like, if it's not yours, don't take it kind of <laughs> simple values thing. You know, you should work for everything that you have and earn, mm-hmm. you know, which is what my parents did and do. So it's kind of interesting that like, I guess at 15, though, you don't really listen to your parents so much. <laughs> right. You know, and you kind of still just do your own thing. And, and uh, yeah, it was, I definitely disappointed them a lot too. So I think the idea of letting people down or disappointing people was tough too. I definitely struggled with that. Um but yeah, it was just, it was, we, so many of us do things for a rush. And I think a lot of us that, that maybe don't think we deserve good things like a good family or, you know, cause I was lucky to have two, two parents that not only were involved in my life, but mm-hmm. really cared about. So maybe it was like, you know, feeling undeserving of that or guilty for that. And so it's like, that's why you rebel. You know, that's why often pastors, kids rebel and yeah. <laughs> this kind of stuff because it's like, you know, you feel like you're not worthy of, of that kind of, uh, love and attention. Maybe, I don't know. Right. So then, I mean, you go through typical 20 stuff, you know, you're just, you're trying to be an actor in LA and you're living in your car and you're partying, you're doing all that stuff. But then this is the kind of moment that changes your life as you saw these pictures in a magazine, uh, about some stuff in, I think it was Sudan, right? Correct. Some genocide and stuff. And that really kind of woke you up to, I got to do something different with my life. Totally. Yeah. It was a time magazine article called the uh, the title of it was the tra- tragedy in Sudan, and it was about the Darfur region, you know, and the genocide that was going on and still going on, um, where you know hundreds, three hundred thousand people at that time, in, I think in oh, that was in oh four, three hundred thousand people had been killed, and uh, you know mostly women and children are left abandoned in these refugee camps. We're just filling up with them, and they were understaffed, and so. I just made the decision to kind of go over there and help. And I tried to go through an NGO and none of them would take me because I didn't have a college degree. So I just like flew myself over there and figured it out once I got there. And the, you know, it just completely changed my life. Like those people were so generous and like grateful um, that someone would leave the United States and come over and do that. And I just did it for a couple of months, but um, it made me really want to fight for those people. And, and that was the main reason aside from 9-11, that I decided to join the military. Right, because when you came, you felt like you had really done something and felt like a purpose, and when you came back and you and you weren't doing that, you, you felt kind of like you needed to do something bigger, so you doubled down, you joined the military. So tell me about basic training, because my brother, I've never been in the Army, but my brother said it's so strict. He said, like, when they're making the bed, they, they get a ruler out and measure it, and if it's like an inch off, they rip the sheets off and throw them to the ground. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're, they're very particular. Everything is very (laughs) regimented and, you know, they want everything to be done a certain way because, you know, what it's teaching you is not only discipline, but attention to detail and, uh, you know, and end of, and the value of not becoming complacent. Um, because when you're out there, especially in an infantry type unit where it's like, uh, you know, your lives are are at risk and there's, there's bullets flying and all that. Like you need to be precise, Mm -hmm. um, but you also need to be very aware of everything going on and not, not let somebody down. And so if you're not training properly and that goes all the way back to even the way that you make your bed, you know, if you're not giving everything 
that type of attention and, and focus, something bad's going to happen, you know, and you don't, and, and at the end of the day, like you don't want that to be on you anyway. Right. So they just sort of bang that into you. <laughs> right. Uh, but so, on. yeah. So the green beret special forces training, that's like another level and that's designed to make people quit. So how many people quit and what percentage of people make it through that special forces training? Yeah. I mean, there's a famous song, um, called the ballad of the green berets. And he talks about in the song, it talks about 100 men will test today and only three win the green beret. Uh, I don't think it's 3% pass rate. I don't think it's quite that low. Maybe yeah. it was originally, but from, from as far as it's only 1% of the military that actually become special forces. So it's, so it is very small. Um, and I think out of the tr- training, I would say from the people that initially signed up to go to selection, it's probably more like 10% or maybe maybe as high as 20 at the top end, uh, actually make it through everything. But it is a very high attrition rate. Like it's not, it's definitely not easy. How much of that is a physical endurance and how much is it is mental? Like, did you see guys that look just really ripped and in shape, give up faster than guys that maybe weren't as in shape and big? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's so much more mental. Yes. You have to be in physical condition. You have to be Mm -hmm. in good shape. Like you don't need to be a great athlete. Um, and so much of that endurance, it is mental endurance, even though, um, you know, your body's struggling and hurting. Like I think everybody's is at a certain point. So it's just like, are you going to keep going or not? That's a decision you have to make. And it's, uh, yeah. So it probably becomes, you know, 90% uh, metal mental because there's, there's certainly those guys, like you said, that look the part, but if you don't have it between the ears, it doesn't matter. And Mm. There's other people that are, that definitely don't look the part. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> that's me. And I don't have it between the ears. So I would have, that's why I have so much respect for you guys. Cause I'm like, I could never do that. It's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy, but it's worth it. And it is, uh, you know, you get to do things that no one else gets to do legally anyway. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, there's a, there's crazy, uh, there's, there's some crazy experiences and wild adventures and all that stuff. Yeah. Tell me about some funny stories though. Cause I saw my brother, I think there's a lot of downtime in the army, right? I met my brother. They shot his back with an airsoft gun and made a smiley face on his back. Like, do you do stuff like that? No, I don't know what unit your brother was. in. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of downtime though, right? You're playing cards or. Are you talking about like on a deployment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you um, pass the time? Yeah, somewhat. Sometimes there's none. Sometimes you're just trying to, you know, you're lucky if you're getting four hours of sleep a night. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, it just depends. If you're running a lot of missions and you're out, you know, and it's busy in, in, in wartime, it's definitely, um, there's a lot going on. But yeah, then, then when it is slow, it's very slow. So people do all kinds of things, man. I, I worked out a lot. Um, I, uh, watch movies. I, I watched, you know, if we could get any sports channels or whatever, I would try to watch during football season. I'd watch football for instance, right, or Yeah. but yeah, people play video games. Like I was, I'm never into video games, but like people do that. Um, yeah. Okay. Shooting each other with airsoft guns. That's, that's another level. Yeah. I'll have to send you the video if I could find that. It was hilarious. But so what, is, what? what uh, he was in the army. Okay. But not special forces, obviously. Um, so what is the greatest like epiphany that you had while serving either about yourself or about the world in general? Um, that, you know, we're generally the same, like we want the same things, you know, people are, people are, are for the most part, very similar. And, um, yeah, we might look a lot different and, and believe different, 
uh, things and, and, and go about things in a different way. But like we generally want the same stuff as far as safety, security, you know, we want to belong. Uh, we want what's best for our family, you know, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I mean, I don't know, we're all human beings. So I guess that's, that should be common knowledge, but it's not, you know, yeah. it, it does feel very different. So I think that was the biggest thing I, I sort of took away. Um, and uh, yeah, that and, and just, um, uh, you know, what you have to actually sacrifice, how much you have to actually sacrifice to be elite, you know, it's definitely something that. Yeah. So, yeah. So then you get out of the military, you never played pop Warner football or high school football and you regretted that. And then, like you said, you watch football in the military. It's kind of an escape. So you decided, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to try for football. And your buddy pushed you to go. I think you were, you were thinking like a small school, maybe just to, and your buddy's like, no, you should go to Texas university of Texas. So you kind of talked your way into like joining the team in a way you never snapped. They asked you where you played in high school. And what did you say? I just said, uh, uh, they didn't really ask where I played in high school. They asked the other guys that were trying out for film, like, for, mm. like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and a reference from a high school coach, but they knew I was been, in, I'd been in the army. So I was like, yeah, I don't really have that stuff, you know? And they're like, oh yeah, don't worry about it. Don't worry about that. You know? And, and they just let me just try out with the team and I was in good endurance. I was in good shape. So tryouts sure. mostly of conditioning. So I didn't really have a ton to do with football. Uh, it was some football drills, but we weren't like putting pads on or anything. Um, yeah, the first time I wore pads ever was at practice and I was already on the team and it was just like, here we go. You know, I guess I'm going to go out there and just get run over all day, which happened. I so. love that you too. You, this is amazing. You learned how to long snap by watching YouTube videos. <laughs> Did you have anyone else help you like any sort of X players or anything like that? Or that it was just the uh, YouTube videos? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I, 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 so when I walked on, I walked on as a safety, like I didn't even know. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was I was playing uh, I was playing safety on the scout team, and then after my freshman year, I was just like, man, I got to find a way on the field because mm. I'm not going to make it as a DB. I'm not fast enough. Mm. And I started uh, I started I noticed that the starting long snapper was graduating, and so was the backup. So they were both seniors. So I was like, man, I'll just maybe I'll just start long snapping and see if I can compete for the job. And so I started. Uh, yeah, I asked the starting long snapper to show me how he gripped the ball and. He gave me a couple little pointers, kind of aimed me in the right direction. And then I just started messing around with it and, uh, and then watching YouTube videos and, you know, working on it in the gym on my own time. And then when I went overseas that summer, I brought a couple of footballs with me and just snapped when I was deployed and came back and, um, coach Brown, Mac Brown, let me try out for the position. And I en- ended up earning the backup job at the start of the season. And then after the first game, I got a chance to, to uh, compete for the starting job and won that and then started for the next three years and never had a fumbled snap. No, no fumbled snaps. Yeah. So, so then you get a chance with the Seahawks and you had, again, this is the thing where like you had an offer to join the Rams, but you chose the Seahawks because it was the bigger challenge. I love that less shot making the team. I'm noticing like a theme here. And um, so you're on the Seahawks. What's a good Seahawks store. I'm a huge Seahawks fan. If you didn't know, um, like about either being on the field or the locker room. Cause like that was like the, the prime Seahawks. Those were like Lynch was on that team and Richard Sherman. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was Marshawn. Marshawn's locker was right next to mine actually. So it was, uh, yeah, it was Marshawn, Richard Sherman, Earl Thomas, um, you know, Cam Chancellor, uh, Bobby Wagner, obviously still there. Um, Jimmy Graham, Doug Baldwin, uh, Javon curse, uh, uh, Man, Russell Emma. Wilson, of course. So obviously, Russ, yeah. yeah. And uh, Michael Bennett. Um, yeah, 
who else, man? Who who wasn't on that team? <laughs> Tweezy was still on the team. But how does that compare, like Pete Carroll running his camp versus the military? Is it totally different? Because he seems more laid back. Yeah, it's totally different. I mean, the military is different than any kind of camp, but Pete's Pete kind of ran it. It felt more like college, I think, than most NFL teams. Mm-hmm. I've been around other locker rooms and organizations. I haven't played for anybody else, but they definitely feel much more like a business and his felt more kind of fun and um, everything was a competition, you know, and I mean, it comes from him having success in college. He sort of brought that mindset, I think, uh, for his second go round in the NFL. Cause he was, he was an NFL coach before he went to USC. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and I think he changed his philosophy quite a bit. You know, it was a lot more like, Hey, look, I'm less stress, more fun. Doesn't mean you have to like, you're going to work less hard. Um, but, yeah, he just he kind of discourages like negative yelling at practice because it's just not going to, it doesn't help. Like if people screw up, they either know that they screwed up uh, and the result's going to be them not playing or getting cut. Or if they don't know, then just t- take them, you know, walk them to the side and say, hey, you know, if you don't fix this, I can't play you or you're mm-hmm. going to be cut. And it's that simple. And that's more effective than like somebody out there that's afraid of getting yelled at again and starts playing not to lose instead of playing to win. And you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, I mean, these are men, you know what I mean? And you, you, right. you, you like, if somebody screws up in their job in a regular day-to-day job, and you just screamed at them like that. They're not going to respond well. Right. Now that's, <laughs> not a, gonna, they're not going to want to perform for you. That's a very good point. Now I always wonder this, why didn't they keep you on as a practice squad member or, uh, I mean, just in case anything happens, a long snapper, but more importantly, just your influence. That was a very young team. You were the oldest uh, person on the team as a rookie. You're, you would have been an amazing influence in that locker room. Or why didn't they keep you on as a athletic trainer or coach or something? Like, what? Uh, I didn't want to get into coaching or anything like that. Okay. Uh, that's just not something I was interested in. But um, from the practice squad perspective, perspective, they only had eight or ten that you can have. And it's like, you got to have a backup quarterback. And then you've got to have, like, there's no backups in the league anywhere. There's not one team that has a backup long snapper. Mm-hmm. It's just not a thing. Yeah. Like, they want to have you know, you're going to have a linebacker and a receiver and, you know, these other positions that like you need to bring up, but also they are practicing against the starters every week, you know, and they need the guys to be fast and the most athletic. And it just didn't, it wouldn't make any sense. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you go on life goes on and then obviously, you know, the Kaepernick thing, that's a big thing. So we'll just talk about that a little bit because I'm sure you've talked that to death, but you know, you, you were hurt by that initially. I think people were confused because there's, I didn't know this. You said that some people thought that you told Kaepernick to, to protest, but it was the opposite. You were upset by his protesting. And then you guys tried to come together. You wrote this letter uh, in the army times. And then, you know, this, I love, this is what's so inspiring about your story is that you wanted to, you were upset, but then you wanted to hear his side of it. So you sat down with Kaepernick and you guys talked for like, I don't know, what was it? An hour or two what do you feel like his ultimate goal with the protests was like, what, what was going to, what was it going to take for him to stop protesting at that point? Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't even really an upset thing. It was more like a hurt thing, you know, yeah, I just, hurt like, because you know, the, the flag of the anthem, those symbols mean something very special to me and different mm-hmm. me, to me because of my experience and relationship to them uh, from the military. And, you know, Kaepernick, like it, it was just, uh, different for him. He had a different experience. And, and you know, for him, um, he didn't feel like those were representative of what America is supposed to be about. And, you know, it was like in the middle, in the midst of a lot of these uh, unarmed shootings of uh, bla- shooting of unarmed black men by law enforcement. And then the lack of repercussions, you know, the lack of uh, uh, accountability um, 
surrounding that. And it just like, you know, it really, it really hurt him and upset him. So um, this was something that he felt by doing this, it would draw a lot of attention, which it did to the, to the subject matter. And um, yeah, through our meeting, he just, you know, he, 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 he read my letter cause it was just like, Hey, look, this is how I feel, but I'm not going to tell you how to feel because I don't know what your experience is like and what your life's like. And, you know, I, uh, I applaud you for, for what you're doing because it's, it is, you know, it's courageous and, uh, it's, uh, it's definitely a, 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 a complicated issue. Um, and I just said, you know, I look forward to the day that you're, um, willing to stand again, I'll be standing right there with you. And so he reached out, we ended up meeting in the lobby of the team hotel on game day before the final preseason game in 2016. And, you know, it was like, it was in San Diego and it was, um, military appreciation night because nine mm. 11 was approaching. And so they were doing like a flyover with Navy seals jumping in the stadium and, you know, full honors on the field. Um, all that stuff was going on. So it's kind of a big deal. And, you know, he, said that he was committed to, to not standing. And, um, you know, he asked me what I thought about that. And I just said, well, to me, if that's what you're going to do, I think, I think it's important personally that you're alongside your teammates, but also like sitting just isn't super inspiring to me, you know? And he was just like, well, what do you think I should do? And I was like, I mean, if you're not going to stand, um, maybe you, maybe you'd at least be willing to take a knee alongside your teammates. I think that's like, um, I think it's more powerful, more powerful gesture. It's also like showing that, you know, you're, you're, you're still standing with these people that all think and feel different things about different situations, but you're still going to go on the field and, you know, play the game with them. Just like in our families and in our work life, like we don't all agree on everything, but we still have to like work together. Right. And I just thought it was, you know, I thought that that would be um, better than just sitting on the bench. Yeah. So, so you, you agreed, yeah. Yeah. So years later, Roger Goodell comes out and says, oops, uh, we should have acknowledged racism and problems with law enforcement and we were wrong. So how do you think the NFL could have handled it better or have done something? Would they, should they have done something different? Should they have allowed him to approach? Should they have tried to attack the problems and try to, they, they, they allowed everybody to protest. They never said anybody, nobody can protest. Um, so, you know, I think that's a little bit, I think the media took, took that a bit, uh, the wrong direction in the sense of like, there's definitely a different way the league maybe could have handled it or maybe got involved sooner and kind of quicker, but it's not like a simple thing for them. I mean, mm -hmm. they were, you know, it was complicated. And, yeah. And then, you know, other teams, I mean, were interested in signing cap, you know, but he, he didn't want to, you know, he opted out of his contract with the Niners. He wasn't, he wasn't, you know, cut. And then, you know, he was offered a, a deal with the Broncos that was for less money, but it was a good deal and he didn't take it. Um, and then eventually, you know, teams stopped asking and, you know, and it kind of turned into this blackballing narrative that I'm not quite sure, um, is correct. I mean, if that's an opinion thing, of course, mm -hmm. I think there's certainly owners and teams that were not going to sign him because of what he was standing for or kneeling for, but I don't think every team was like that. I don't think yeah. there, there were certainly other teams. I mean, the Seahawks brought him in. Right. You know well, yeah. And don't you think that some of the, part of it's just, there's kind of a little bit, I mean, whether you have to agree, there's a little bit of a media circus, like even with Tebow, like there's a little yeah. bit of a media circus with him. I'm sure there's a lot of teams that don't want Tebow, even though he could play probably tight end or he'd be a good third string quarterback, but 
they don't want the circus that goes along with that. Right. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like from the Seahawks perspective, it's like, so you have them in your locker room. Um, well, you know, what happens if, what happens if, you know, Russ starts to struggle or has a, some bad games, you mm. know, and then it's like, you, you gotta, what are you going to do? Like you, you're going to have part of the locker room that wants to play Kaepernick. You're going to divide your locker room. You're going to divide. Yeah, that's true. You know, yeah. and they're like, well, he's not being played because of this. And it's like, well, we signed him. Like, right. It's Russell Wilson, you know? <laughs> yeah. Not that it's not that simple. It's a complicated thing. And like, I even picturing cap as a backup, it's just hard to imagine that. Like that's mm-hmm. this signal caller with the clipboard. Like that's not cap. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't think he felt that way either. So part of me thinks, and this is just my opinion that, you know, there were a lot of it was like, if I'm not going to be a starter, like I don't, I mean, he was a Super Bowl quarterback. He almost won the Super Bowl. He took them there. Very close. Yeah. To the NFC championship, I think three times, at least twice, but I think three times. And it's just like, without that, um, you know, I, I mean, with, with, with having that amount of success and that quickly, and then it starts to deteriorate, um, is like, it's a tough thing. It's just not, it's not yeah. as simple dry as books try to kind of make it right well you know so th- there's some still some stuff with this going on and um the olympian gwen berry she was processing the anthem uh gratitude though i want to talk about that like do you think it seems like it's like cool to hate america which is like really weird to me maybe i'm just out of touch and i'm old i don't know but do you think americans take living in america here for granted i mean you've been all over the world i don't know if you saw what happened yesterday with south america and cuba but there's a lot of bad stuff going on in the world like do you feel like America is still a great country or? Yeah, I think it's the greatest country. Um, could it be a lot better? Yes, absolutely. And I think we should continue to strive for that. But uh, yeah, I, I, I certainly, I, I, yeah, I, I don't think it's like that for everybody as far as the hating America is cool. But like, I know what you're saying. Like, I know what yeah. you mean. There is, uh, you know, and it's like with social media and things being a lot more visible, things that have been happening for a long time that maybe we weren't aware of, such as, you know, the, the, the unarmed people of color that have been, um, that, that are, you know, and it's, and it's not like, it's not like the numbers have necessarily gone up. They may have even gone down, but it's visible. And it, and, and, and even one of these happening is just wrong and it should be, you know, it should be something that people are up in arms about. Like well, especially when you have to see a video, it's really upsetting to watch yeah somebody get killed. I don't think anybody wants to see that of anybody. And there's lots of things within our country that I think a lot of systems that are broken, including our political system, like this two party system is terrible, you know, because I it, agree does, with that. it yeah. divides us. You know? Yeah, it, you're right. It's like, it's like, that's its intent almost. Yeah. And you know, I, I understand a balance of power and all these things and, and yeah, but like there is like these parties have so much, they have way more power than the actual people that it's just not, uh, that's not an okay thing. So there's like, there's tons of systems that are broken in America or not functioning at an efficient level. That all being said, it's still the greatest, <laughs> it's the it's still the greatest country in the world to me. You yeah. Know, and I've been to a lot of them and it's just like, we, we support dream chasers. We love our underdogs. Like you can be anything, you can come from any circumstance and make it happen. You know, you may have more odds against you, yeah. but it's still possible. And there's definitely parts of the world where it is not possible. Right. It's so, like, you, you know, you are, your, your dreams are oppressed more than just right. your people, maybe, you know, for sure. And you are a perfect example of that. So how the hell do you do this? Like, d- tell me like some tips, like, do you write down your goals that you want to achieve? Do you break it down into smaller daily goals? Like what's your daily routine? Like how many hours a day or week are you working? 
Uh, <laughs> it varies, but I feel like I'm always working, but I love what I'm doing for the okay. most part. So like, I'm okay with that. I, I probably should do a better job of just enjoying life sometimes and relaxing, you know? Um, but you know, it makes me happy. It makes me happy to, to, to chase these dreams and goals. And they always change like that. I don't really, I don't write stuff down as much and, and all that, but things are always developing, always changing. And so, um, yeah, I just like when I'm interested in something, I go try it, you know, and see if it's a fit, see if it's something that I'm into. And, and if it's not, then it's not. And I move on. It's all good. You know, but you said you like to stick with things. You hate backtracking. So like, cause you feel like you've wasted time. So when you think about quitting something, you have to like take a break and go, okay, do I really want to like quit after I've spent all this time doing this thing? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a tough one, but it's like, I think I, I figured out early on whether I'm into it or not, you know what I mean? So it, it's, it's just something that like, am I excited about doing this thing tomorrow? You know? Um, but yeah, I, uh, I definitely want to stick with something. If I commit to it, if I decide this is something I'm into, I'm going to like smoke it to the filter. You know what I mean? So, uh, <laughs> that's sort of, uh, yeah, that's sort of just how I am. And even if I fail or even if I don't get to where I hoped I would get, I, uh, I'll still just keep going. I'll keep pushing and do the best I can. Right. You've been successful because you don't give up and, and you keep going. You say sometimes like a door may open, but it may not be the door that you're expecting, but some opportunity will arise from what, like maybe like trying out with the Seahawks, you didn't get a career with the Seahawks, but maybe that helped your uh, career with movie and TV. Cause now people know your name. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you can leverage, you can leverage, you should, you should, and you could, you can leverage your past uh, to, to, you know, feed your future in some way. Um, and even the bad things that you, that, you, that happened to you or the, the, the mistakes that you made, um, that those all can, can serve as fuel as well. You know what I mean? Um, it just depends on how you look at them, but it's like they happened. You can't really change it. You definitely can't change it. Um, what has already happened. So like, what can you do different? Um, and how can you, um, how can you sort of use that to motivate you for the future? Mm-hmm. So yeah, so the, the, going to the movies and TVs, you have a couple different things coming out. The, the Terminal List, that's that show that's produced by Chris Pratt. And then um, the Secret of, what is it? The Secret of Sinchini movie? Yeah, Secret of Sinchini. Yeah, that was, uh, uh, I, I produced that one with a good friend of mine who wrote and directed it. And uh, so we shot that in Massachusetts in January of 2020. So a little pre-pandemic. And uh, then we went back out and did some, some reshoots in the summer. But yeah, that's like a thriller um, a thriller that's set in the, in, in the Western Massachusetts out in the woods. And then, uh, yeah, terminal list is, uh, an Amazon series, um, that, uh, Antoine Fuqua, uh, produced and directed the first episode. Uh, he's done, you know, the equalizer and training day and tears of the sun and a lot of these like kind of epic films. And, and, uh, and so he's doing this series with Chris Pratt and, um, yeah, so I, I have an opportunity. I'm playing like a recurring uh, role on that. And, uh, and then I directed a movie in October called about the charity called, it's called MVP. MVP. Yeah. Yeah. And it's about a veteran living in a shelter, uh, a homeless shelter who meets, uh, a former NFL player first year out of the league. And on paper, they have nothing in common, but they're kind of going through the same stuff and they, they help each other through that transition. Okay. Well, cool. We'll look for that. And then, like I said, I like to end with a charity and I think you work with two, you work with the MVP of charity that helps vet- veterans assimilate. And then the, the water boys, is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah. So MVP, uh, emerging vets and players, we bring together combat vets, former professional athletes and help them find purpose and identity again when the uniform comes off. Um, and we're opening, I'm in Dallas today cause we're opening our seventh chapter. Um, 
in Dallas. Uh, and so we, we meet on a weekly basis and we train together, vets and athletes. And then we hang out uh, afterwards and, and kind of talk through our stuff. You know, it's like an open, open peer to peer coaching session where we're all just sort of um, we've gone through similar things. We got mutual respect for one another. And mm-hmm. We're all there for one another, kind of provide that locker room again. And then Water Boys started by Chris Long, um, who played with the uh, he played with the Rams. Yeah, Howie Long's son. Yeah, exactly. Howie's son won Super Bowls with the Patriots and the Eagles, and uh, you know he he uh, uh, he went to to Tanzania um, with some other players while he was. Well, I think he was still in St. Louis. Yeah, he's definitely still a Ram at the time. And they went out there and, uh, you know, he just felt such a strong pull to like do more. You know, I think it was, I think it was kind of a service trip, but he was like, what else can I do? And the biggest need or one of the biggest needs in Tanzania is clean water. And so his idea was to sort of rally the 32 NFL teams to provide uh, 32 water wells for people in East Africa. And I think it's surpassed that now. And, you know, oh, he's great. They've raised millions of dollars for these wells and like they're, they're digging them all over um, the country and into Kenya now as well, I believe. And so Love it. it's really cool. So what we do, we, we would go over there with NFL players and with veterans. Um, we'd go climb Mount Kilimanjaro together every year. Uh, we did it for I did oh. it for three years in a row, I think. Um, and I think we're going to get back to it next year now that we're post pandemic. OK, but uh, yeah, we'll go over there and, and uh, climb the mountain and uh, raise money for for uh, water wells in the process and then also get to visit these well sites when we're in the people, the Maasai tribe you know, out there in Tanzania. And it's really, it's really a special experience. That's amazing. Okay. Well, I'll let you go. Last question though, real quick. Um, would you ever consider running for office for political office? If maybe third party, since you say the parties are screwed because you're such a leader and you actually want to listen to people. I think that's rare, especially with politicians. Um, no, but I want to support okay. the right guy or girl okay. to do that. Uh, but you, know, you are I, the right guy. You're such a leader. Uh, People love uh, you. I'm a mess too. You know, I got no. a lot of work. So, All right. yeah, I, you know, maybe, may, maybe like long, 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 probably not though. All right. Well, I'd vote for it. I just think it's an inspiration. I think if people could be more like you and just listen to each other, I think that's what's lacking the most in this country. Yeah. I think we're doing better though. I really do. Really? I think, uh, we're getting there. You know, okay. it's, just, it's slow going, but um, it's probably a generational thing. But yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have to, or we're gonna you know kill each other. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for doing this, Nate. I appreciate. It. I know you're a very busy, man. So I'll let you go. Thank you, brother. All have right. A good one. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Nate Boyer again, such an inspiration to me. I wish I had ten percent of his work ethic and tenacity. Uh, I really think he should run for office. And if I have him on the show again, I will keep badgering him on that. Uh, For all the things he's accomplished, I respect respect all of it, but I really love the fact that he's willing to listen and to understand someone who disagrees with him instead of trying to convince them that his point of view is better. And I think if we all did that, the country and the world really would be a better place. And that's part of the reason for having this podcast for me is to hear different points of view and life stories. I find it all fascinating, and I hope you do too. As always, make sure to support my guests by following them on social media. Nate's website is in the show notes if you want to learn more, as well as the charities he's mentioned. Uh, If you want to support my show, all your activity on social media and YouTube with likes, shares, comments, follows, etc., all that stuff helps me out a lot. And if you want to be like Nate Boyer, 
and go above and beyond, then you can write me a review wherever you listen. Thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate you. I hope you have a great rest of your day. And remember to shoot for the moon.